0: Chapter 8 of The Real Oscar Wilde by Robert Sherrard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. After he had left Oxford and was living in town, Oscar Wilde one afternoon visited a friend of his, an artist well known at the time, who had a studio somewhere in Chelsea. He found his friend in a state of great distress and alarm, making hasty preparations as if for flight. He asked him what had occurred, and his friend said, oh it's all up with me oscar i'm a ruined man he described an offence he had committed and added i am sure the parents have laid an information and that i am liable to be arrested at any moment i'm trying to get away before the police come then i'm afraid you're too late said oscar and that they are here already because as i came into the house i noticed two men hanging about the doorway and i'm sure i recognize them as scotland yard men on hearing this said oscar in telling me the story blank became frantic with alarm talked of suicide of throwing himself out of the window of his disgrace and dishonor and so forth in the meanwhile i secured the outer door to the studio is there no means of escape that way i asked pointing to the window yes he answered with a hoarse croak i could clamber to the roof and away through s studio three houses off then do it at once i said but they're coming he whimpered i can hear them on the stairs oh get along with you i'll keep the door against them long enough for you to manage your escape and that is what the effeminate oscar wilde did for his unworthy friend after some parleying one can imagine oscar's part in the dialogue the detectives began to force the door in the end the lock gave way and a moment later the police would have burst in and then wilde put his broad back against the door and held it fast against the invaders for a minute or two longer long enough in any case to give the fugitive time to make good his escape they were furious continued oscar and spoke of arresting me for resisting the police in the execution of their duty but i pacified them by saying that as i knew my friend the artist had left london that morning in a great hurry for the continent i had thought it was some studio practical joke that was being played on me your feet i said reminds me of the exploit of catherine douglas who held the door against the men who had come to murder the king by the way do you know john barlas who was her direct descendant you remember Catherine douglas won the name of the bar lass i forget when oscar first met john barlas but i remember taking the scottish poet to our rooms in charles street grosvenor square where a number of poets john davidson amongst others used occasionally to meet i had made barlas's acquaintance at new college oxford where his rooms were opposite mine on the ground floor of the extreme right-hand side of the first quadrangle already at oxford he was known as eccentric but was considered a genius and was appreciated as a poet oscar wilde always had a respect for varsity men and i think that he had a good opinion of john Barlas, who had done well in the schools and would have done better but for a love of romance and adventure which interfered with his studies he had a very excitable brain and was very quarrelsome i used to think of him as the young lochinvar and he dearly loved fighting wilde was very nice and complimentary to him during his afternoon at charles street and had not shown any surprise at his having brought with him a weird young female whom he introduced as his sister soul and muse it appeared she lived in a room adjoining his in an awful slum in lambeth and that like himself she professed anarchy and as he confided to us wore flannel underthings of a blood-red hue to show the colour of her convictions she was hardly a person to bring to so respectable a house as the one in charles street kept by a retired butler who used to go out and resume his functions whenever the governors of the bank of england gave a dinner-party and who would have swooned if he had caught a glimpse of the red desu of the sister soul from hercules buildings lambeth but there was nothing snobbish about oscar wilde Pache lord alfred douglas and he received this weird young lady because she was barlas's friend as courteously as though she had been lady this or lady that barlas however conceived a grouch he thought that the sister soul had not been treated with due reverence we all left charles street together Barlas and the muse ahead followed by wilde davidson and myself suddenly Barlas was seen to signal to a hansom it came up and the lady was bundled into it followed by the poet who rebuked us all in general and oscar wilde in particular for our want of respect to the sister soul it appears he thought that oscar wilde should have offered his arm to the lady and so have escorted her across grosvenor square which would have been a sight for the gods poor Barlas's heroic exit was spoiled however by the cabman who when he heard what address he was expected to drive to said he didn't know about that it was a roguish neighbourhood and was he sure of getting his fare and then oscar wilde who hated a scene worse than any man and who might justly have been piqued by Barlas's unreasonable behaviour stepped forward and smilingly assured the cabman who knew him by sight and addressed him as my lord that it was all right and thus saved the situation oscar wilde by the way was always very popular with cab drivers and was perhaps better known to them than any man in london he was the best rider in chelsea was the description of him given to me at the time of his trial by a sympathetic jehu he must have spent much money with the craft this dialogue between him and mr carson at the time of the Queensbury trial will be remembered is park walk about ten minutes walk from Tite street i don't know i never walk i suppose when you pay visits you always take a cab always and if you visited you would leave the cab outside if it were a good cab some little time after the grosvenor square incident barlas fell into the hands of the police he had rushed out of hercules buildings early one morning and had discharged a revolver against the houses of parliament to show his contempt for them he explained to the police oscar wilde who traced his excitement to the influence of his Theron de immediately went bail for him and afterwards became one of his sureties to be of good behaviour some of the papers blamed mr de Rutsen for his leniency and of course wilde came in for malevolent aspersion i know that he did not care he acted as he did not only from kindness of heart but also because he respected john barlas and admired him barlas heartily reciprocated his respect and admiration as he showed in an article contributed to some forgotten magazine whose name i do not recall i give the following extracts from this article footnote the printed version it appeared in april eighteen ninety two differs considerably from the manuscript from which i quote End footnote a manuscript copy of which i possess because they illustrate the opinion on wilde held by a man whom many contemporaries look upon as a poet of genius who was a scholar and a man of lofty ideals and great courage universally liked and respected at oxford and elsewhere high genius is always symbolic or typical the subject of this sketch is a perfect type in life in style in thought he is the artist among us From the first he was a critic in art, and he is now the artist of criticism. Concentration and universality are great gifts not often found together. The gift of the creative artist is not often united in one person with the gift of the sterile critic. Oscar Wilde has both. He can make beautiful things of a distinct type. He can enjoy beautiful things of every type but he has said himself that he holds the critic greater than the artist holds him who dwells in the palace greater than him who built it creation is necessary and contemplation delightful to god and man alike we must all make something most of us have to build houses or bridges of brick or stone or to till the earth but if we build our houses religiously we make them into temples and the fruits of the earth we can offer to god a cain's offering openly rejected but dear to him in his sacred heart other few of us are privileged to weave rainbows out of colours and dreams out of rainbows to build with things of the spirit these are artists god alone can make the stars he then quotes some passages of wilde's criticisms and proceeds Quote, this is astral music and if he who wrote it has not lived aforetime in egypt and syria in violet-crowned athens and dante's own city of flowers i have misunderstood the music he does not seem quite so inspired when he speaks of italy and her painters it may be that after all He never heard from Botticelli's lips of the strange heresies he painted upon the cold rebellious faces of his madonnas, nor left his art for a while to plunge into the mysteries of occult science with the pupil of Verrocchio, artist and lover of all beautiful things, nor listened to the silent painted music of Giorgione. It was Walter Pater who did all that but criticism pure and simple makes only the middle period of oscar wilde's development he began as a critical poet in verse and he ends as a symbolic poet in prose he is the first poet novelist of england fielding dickens thackeray were novelists not poets shelley wrote some novels when he was very young but left prose for poetry the poetry of scott is better seen in his poetry than in his novels in france it is otherwise hugo flaubert and gautier were poets of prose the creator of gilliatt's heroic love and jean valjean's holy sufferings was a poet he who saw the snakeskin slippers of Salambo in the marble bath tank of her scarlet room and waded through the massacre of the valley of the battle axe and beheld lions crucified was a poet he who loved a woman who had never seen and gave her the hands of magdalen the body of sleeping antiope the raiment of an earlier queen and who found her in the flesh in strange disguise and made her his own but for a single night was a poet and he who has clothed the mystery of the phoenix in the picture of dorian gray is a prince of poets and this leads us to his earlier poetry in verse the personality of the man we know is already there the love of colours of bright birds and beautiful gems the love of curious gems came later the deep sensuous enjoyment of nature that recalls keats and the roman poets especially virgil and ovid the critical spirit of greece strangely blended with the religious fervour of catholic christianity the godlike calm the titan-like defiance the swift and gentle irony vivid and lambent and harmless to spiritual life as sheet-lightning but terrible to those who know what it means but a man who is all this and when fate has cast him upon these latter days cannot fail to be a revolutionist and this voluptuous artist is a very michael or rather a raphael for he does not use physical means but spiritual nor are his spiritual weapons of the coarser kind noisy and explosive he does not use dynamite but a dagger whose hilt is crusted with flaming jewels and whose point drips with the poison of the borgias that dagger is the paradox no weapon could be more terrible he has stabbed all our proverbs and our proverbs rule us more than our kings Perhaps it is better to say that he uses sheet-lightning. With a sudden flash of wit he exposes to our startled eyes the sheer cliff-like rift which he has opened out, as if by a silent earthquake, between our moral belief and the belief of our fathers. That fissure is the intellectual revolution." A singular fatality has dogged the steps of Oscar Wilde's friends. Many have come to a sad end and of some of those who survive it may be said that they are not the luckier ones consider the sudden and unlovely death of lionel johnson who fell back inanimate from off the high stool of a bar counter the lingering agony of consumption aggravated by want of ernest dowson the dreadful suicide of john davidson and other illustrations which might be given poor john Barlas was to endure a fate even worse to linger on for years a physical wreck with a mind diseased in gartneval asylum i heard from him thence in the present year 1914. he was unable to write himself but dictated the letter to his wife who seems faithfully to have transcribed his words it was a sad day to read such a letter after reading the essay from which i have quoted above but there is one curious thing about it which strikes me now. He has told me quite luckily of the enormous output of plays and poems which he has achieved since last we met, twenty years ago, but then trails off into a mysterious account of visions he has of, quote, trains full of corpses. The poet, Vartes, is a visionary and a poet, and to the innocent it is said, second sight is given can his disordered brain have foreseen the impending horrors of battle and massacre footnote the following extract from a letter written by Barlas to his son in nineteen o five quoted from mr david lowe's brochure on the poet will be read with interest Quote, you may have heard that i knew oscar wilde pretty well at one time both in paris and london and we sometimes dined together with other friends and acquaintances in the latter mighty city he was and remains my ideal of a man and genius in this generation his words were as splendid as his writings turned and spoken with exquisite grace and half concealing under an appearance of sportive levity unheard-of profundity of perception and thought he read the very innermost souls of men We have had none like him for this power since Shakespeare. His misfortunes were an extraordinary example of the power of slander and of capital. So long as he left the pocket unassailed, he prevailed over all the lies and libels of the jealous. But his article in the fortnightly review on socialism brought all the hornets upon him. End of footnote sufficient proof has i think been given that it is wrong to speak of oscar wilde as effeminate by reason of a want of courage physical and moral and all the more credit should be given him for the quality which he displayed that courage seems to diminish in a man in proportion to his intellect the napoleon of the pont d'arcole was no doubt a hero in the popular sense of the word the mentally developed napoleon of the retreat from moscow was so little courageous that in deadly fear of falling into the hands of the cossacks after narrowly escaping them in a raid he ordered his physician to prepare him a sachet of poison which he could wear round his neck and which could be used as a last resource if he were to be captured the contents of this sachet he did eventually swallow it was on the night before the abdication of fontainebleau But the strength of the poison had evaporated, and he only succeeded in making himself very sick, and in giving great alarm to the faithful Minival. The stronger the imagination, and consequently the greater the power to conceive the horrors of pain and death, the less will the courage be. Wise old age is timorous and shy of danger. Immature youth is heroic and reckless i think of oscar wilde that inasmuch as he was undoubtedly a man of genius his courage was quite remarkable he was not a bully nor a swashbuckler unlike alfred douglas who tells us that in paris he challenged numerous people to jewels he never issued a cartel but bore his enemies down by the serene force of his courage he had that dignity and calm which suggests strength one has heard his affectations of speech referred to as a proof of effeminacy now i do not think that any of his friends ever heard him speak otherwise than in a perfectly natural albeit highly distinguished manner when he was not on the stage by being on the stage i mean when he was playing to the gallery amazing the public posturing for the sake of notoriety for the sake of the ultimate benefits which in a commercial age and country notoriety is supposed to bring i know that i never did never once it would have bored or it would have irritated me and while i never experienced one second's ennui during all the hours i have spent in his company i cannot conceive any man ever having been irritated by oscar wilde his company was sheer delight. He had certain little catchphrases or expressions, who has not, such as perfectly charming and rather tedious, but they were so skilfully used and so amusingly applied that they never produced the annoyance of the gag. He had also certain philological dislikes. For instance, he used to say that to use or to hear any word ending in et such as leaderette flannelette and so on literally put his teeth on edge had he lived he would have harboured a grievance against mrs pankhurst because of the designation of her followers yet curiously enough it was a word ending in et which expressed what played so vast a role in his physical life a word which had he been restricted to a vocabulary of only ten words would certainly have been one of them if not the first namely cigarette it was doubtless his fondness for what it described that made him accord to this word with the hated suffix the high honour of admission the grande entrée into his poems it is found once and is fitted with a jingle partner in that wonderful poem the harlot's house which i saw and heard him compose in paris here are the lines sometimes a horrible marionette came out and smoked a cigarette upon the steps like a live thing with regard to the apparent extravagance of his language in public discourse as well as in his writings let me once again quote one of the questions put to me by the swedish professor and the answer given to it they contain besides the explanation sought after other information of interest the Swedish professor asks me, quote, Had Wilde any very genuine first-hand knowledge of Greek literature, beyond what readings in it were indispensable for him to have when he took his Oxford degree? Did he read any Greek books in later years, or did he maintain his classical scholarship chiefly by studying the works of others, scientific productions, Mahaffey, etc.? you have of course noticed in many of wilde's writings a frequent occurrence of words and groups of words like these honey-coloured fiery-coloured scarlet plume scarlet thread jasper cave purple air purple darkness the purple dignity of tragedy etc as of various names of flowers such as anemones narcissus crocus hyacinth iris and so on now i wonder are these reminiscences of classical poetry to these questions the following answer was given wilde won the berkeley gold medal for greek at dublin at the age of seventeen his essay being on the greek comic poets he obtained a greek scholarship at magdalen and took a first in literae humaniores for his degree which was classical any writer who has enjoyed these scholastic distinctions generally retains something of his classical education. Wilde is, therefore, hardly an exception. As he never worked at Oxford, and went to Greece for a couple of terms, when he should have been at the university, for which his scholarship was temporarily taken away, and still got a first in every examination, we may safely conclude that he retained the scholarship acquired at Dublin. His memory was always extraordinary, and perhaps too retentive. He often reproduced phrases of other writers unconsciously. No doubt the vocabulary referred to by the doctor had its origin from the same source. Theocritus, and of course Plato, were the only Greek authors he read carefully in later life. Although Oscar Wilde was a great talker, I myself have charged him that Balzac's definition of the demi-artistes who spend their lives in talking themselves, passant lieu via ses parlairs, might be applied to him. He never imposed his conversation on people. He talked nobody down, as there are some who do, and amongst the least obscure. If he seemed to pontify, it was because he was such a delightful talker, and had a voice so melodious, that people simply stopped talking themselves, inviting him by their silence to continue. Do not the naturalists describe for us some bird, as to which they tell us that when it begins to sing, a hush falls upon the whole grove, vocal till then? One simply had to listen, and was led from delight to delight from surprise to surprise i have never anywhere in the world met anybody even faintly resembling him in this gift his conversation was indescribable it charmed touched amused inspired one felt an enthusiasm for the man as one listened to him the kind of enthusiasm that one experiences for nature at the spectacle of some grand piece of scenery some light on sea or land one was lifted out of oneself in regard to voice sarah bernhardt on whom oscar somewhat modelled himself has the same fascination the same power to move End of chapter eight